So Thursday morning, I get a phone call. I'm in my office. I just finished my, my Bible reading, and I was just kind of reflecting a little bit on kind of what's to come and even preparing for, for Mark chapter 7, which is next week and all of that. And, and I pull my phone out, and I see it's Curry Pickard. Curry's calling me in the morning. He's calling me. Not many times does he call me unless there's something awry. Poor Pastor Curry came down with a cold, and nothing serious. Pastor Curry was scheduled to preach this Sunday, and Pastor Curry said, there's no way. I would cough my way through that message, and no one wants that, right? So we pray for Pastor Curry and Barb to feel better. He said they turned the corner and they're feeling better. But in that Thursday morning, he says, Kevin, you're up. I said, okay. Okay. And uh, someone said to me, uh, uh, Steve, <laughs> helpful vice president goes, well, you got one in your back pocket, don't you? Like a message, you know, always ready just in case. I'm like, well, yeah, sure I do, but we're in Mark 6. I don't have Mark 6 in my back pocket. Okay. I look at my schedule, no problem. Friday, oh, that's pretty booked. Oof. Saturday, oh, it's completely booked. Oh, and a Sunday's a coming. Okay. Well, that's okay. I, I already read Mark 6, so I look at it again. Did you read Mark 6 this week? I hope you did. Man, isn't it loaded? What in the world? If you look at that, I, I spent like the first hour of sermon prep just like, where do I even go? It's all so good. It's all so good. So, so there's enough there at least for six messages because there's six movements within it, but you could actually have significantly more. So I decided today will be my first ever three-hour message. <laughs> Laughter of joy, I can tell, and excitement. Kidding. Uh, so two things in preparation. Um, have very low expectations today. Kidding! Also kidding. But it's okay if you do. The reality is we cannot drain the ocean in a day. No one could go through all of chapter 6, no matter how long you have to prepare in its entirety. But what can we do? We can wade in and see how deep God's word truly is, even in the smallest little step. So that's what we will do. And it's just a reminder that I am so encouraged that y'all are reading in preparation along with me because you see the depth of what is there. So way to go. Keep reading along, writing along. But second, today is going to be like a spiritual pit stop for us. We're going to handle God's word faithfully, and we're going to see what it has for us. But this is my encouragement for all of us as we open his word and, and, and approach it once more. We are on this fast-moving journey through the gospel according to Mark. And, and, and right now, I just want us to check in with our heart, our mind, and our soul to make sure we're allowing this to soak into our being. It's such a fast-paced and urgent uh, book that, that the last thing we, any of us want is for it to pass us by in this most extraordinary like light show. And then we go, wait, what just happened? So we're going to pause. And let this be a spiritual pit stop, trusting and believing and reclaiming to keep our eyes on Jesus and not miss what he's trying to do in us through this series. We're in week six of our series, uh, Follow Me. As week by week, we are going through one chapter at a time, the gospel, according to Mark, learning what it means to passionately love, live, and lead like Jesus. So a starting question, uh, if you don't like participating, but you look for that easy answer, you can jump in on, this is the one for you. Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be like Jesus? 
Some of us are still thinking about that. Do you want to be like Jesus? The gospel demands a response. So I say, do you want to be like Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. I know in your hearts, if you're in this place and you know anything about Jesus, you want to be like Jesus. He is amazing. He is the best. He is, he is our God. He, he, he is so captivating. He lives with purpose and meaning. He's always at peace. He's never in a hurry. He gets interrupted and he doesn't get angry like us. He's like, hello, my child. Let me meet with you here and give you my fullest presence. He is amazing, amazing. We all want to be like Jesus. But the follow-up question, why some of you probably gave pause, which actually was pretty wise, is because when the rubber hits the road, are we willing to do what it actually takes to be like him? And that one, that one, we're faced with our desire in reality and the gulf between, aren't we? Are we willing to actually do what it takes to be like him? That's our driving thought I would like you to carry with us throughout this message. Uh, and so we are longing, we are longing to be people with open hearts willing to do whatever it takes to be more like Jesus, to do whatever it takes to follow him. This whole series, it's, it's, it's not just about learning about Jesus, but being transformed by his word into more and more Christ-likeness. And so we begin with Mark chapter 6. We're going to start with one, verses 1 through through six, and we'll go through a few other things. I encourage you, you to open up a Bible. You can follow on the screen, but also open up a Bible, interact with the living true word of God, starting with Mark chapter six. Begins like this. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. Where's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Wait, isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So Jesus goes home. Goes to his hometown, Nazareth. He's accompanied by his disciples. It's a reminder that his disciples went everywhere with him, did everything with him. Even on his home visits, he goes with him. And they observe and they witness and they're following him. And the people are amazed. The people are amazed. We've heard this before, that at Jesus' teaching, people are amazed. But not everyone in Nazareth is amazed in the same way. Wait, isn't this that carpenter? Wait, this is that Jesus. You know, that Jesus, that, that Jesus who's Mary's son. Remember Mary? When... She was pregnant before her and Joseph were married. That Mary. This is Mary's son, Jesus. And you know all those, all, those, all those other people he's connected to? Wait, we know him. He grew up here. We know this guy. This is him? 
What about these miracles we heard about? What about this, this wisdom we heard about? And this is it? They are listening to him speak the truth, and they took offense at him. People do take offense to the truth. They just didn't realize they were taking offense to truth incarnate. They couldn't see the truth. He was standing before them, and they could only see what they thought Jesus was, not who he really is. They thought, oh yeah, this is just that carpenter. This is just that kid of Mary's. This is just the brother of Joseph and all those other kids. This is Jesus. That's what they thought. But who he really was you have to actually be willing to see and to listen and to look. You have to change your perspective. You have to open your ears. You have to open your eyes, open your heart to see Jesus. So for us, are we seeing Jesus for who he is or who we want him to be? It's an important question. Meanwhile, the disciples, they're here, they're witnessing this. They're seeing the offense at Jesus where he should be most celebrated, right? It's a homecoming. This should be exciting. You think the disciples are starting to get a little bit of what it means that there's a cost to following Jesus? If Jesus isn't welcomed at home, will I be welcomed at home? Hmm. And we know the text goes on. It talks of John the Baptist and his beheading. Oh, there's a cost to following Jesus. And here the disciples see Jesus rejected by those who should be his biggest fan. But Jesus says to them, not just the disciples, but those he was attempting to teach and share the truth in a synagogue, he says to them, prophet is not without honor except in his own town among his relatives, and in his own home. And Jesus could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. So I read this passage. I think about my brother. I have two older brothers. Brett is three years older than me. Brett is uh, the happiest guy I know. And people have told me I'm the happiest guy they know, and I say, you must not know my brother Brett. He is joy-filled. But I would never have called him growing up as a driven academic. Not at all. He was driven in other ways. He loved sports and all this stuff, but school, forget about it. So later in life, after his undergrad, uh, which again, wasn't really convinced he was a driven academic, he felt um, a call to study Eastern medicine and to become an acupuncturist. This was like out of left field. I was like, whoa, okay. But he had an experience where acupuncture treated him and and healed him. And so he's like, I want to offer that to other people. And he began this journey. It's a rigorous area of study. It's not viewed as like a doctorate here in the States, but it's quite rigorous and the same kind of level, right? And my brother, who again, I never thought was driven academically, he started this and he told me, and in my head, I'm going, no way. What? This? This Brett I knew growing up? The one who is the biggest goofball I know? The, the, the one who, who uh, uh, just, just 
I can't tell too many stories because he listens to these streams, but you know what I'm talking about, Brett. This Brett? <laughs> you guys know too. You saw him grow up. Woo, baby. I'm like, there's no way. He's not going to make it, right? At first. But as he went on, I started to look at him, not who, for who I thought he was, which at one point was maybe grounded in truth, but for who he actually is. He finishes his studies. He thrived. He did amazing, in fact. He went over, he studied in China for a season, and, and now him and his fiance opened up their own clinic in Hawaii, and they're, 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 their whole practice is growing. He's thriving. I never would have imagined that, but I wasn't looking at him for who he is. I was looking at him for who I thought he was, and I was so wrong, so wrong. And now I can actually see it. Oh yeah, he was super driven in sports. He, he is driven about what he's passionate about, and now he's found it. How are we missing Jesus? By looking at him for who we think he is, not who he actually is. Because here in his hometown, people couldn't see him for who he is. And Jesus laments this fact, and what he says, there's no honor here for me. And it goes on to say he couldn't even do miracles there. Now, this is Jesus. This isn't a question of ability when it says that, that he could do no miracles there. It's not a question of ability, but more so that Jesus will not force his miracles on a hostile and skeptical audience. It's not his way, man. A fundamental rejection of Jesus stands in contradiction to the will of Jesus who longs to heal body, minds, and souls. He can take the faith of a mustard seed and move mountains. But he needs that tiny little mustard seed, doesn't he? He doesn't need it, but he wills it. That's his longing. And that's what he's saying there. Not a question of ability, but he's not going to force it upon them. So Jesus is before them, and he's speaking and being the true word, but the people do not accept it. They reject it. And verse 6 says something that just astounds me. Jesus says, Jesus was amazed— at their lack of faith. They encounter a perfect Jesus with the wisest and the best teaching and the best preaching to ever be spoken on this earth, and they rebuke him, and so his response is to be amazed at their lack of faith. Amazement can take different forms. We saw it earlier in how they were amazed at Jesus. He's here amazed at their lack of faith. What amazes God about humans? It's not our sinfulness. It's not our pull towards evil, but our hardness of heart and unwillingness to believe in him. I stand before you as the truth, says Jesus. I'm giving you everything you need. I am right here. He makes everything aware for people to come to him and make the choice to follow him. And yet, these folks' hearts are so hard, they had an unwillingness to believe in him. And Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. And so we pause here. We have to pause here. I don't want to pause here, but the text demands that we pause here because these people saw Jesus grow up. They knew Jesus on some level. They had heard that he had done miracles, so they're not oblivious to his growing fame. And yet they come before him face to face and their hearts remained hardened and they cannot receive the life-transforming word and work of Christ. 
And this is not the only example, because elsewhere Jesus says, why do you still have such little faith? Or do you still not understand? Do you still not get it? This is why the Son of God came. And we pause, because it has to be a wake-up call for all of us. See, you can be close to Jesus. You can think you know Jesus while remaining closed off to Jesus. We're not transformed by osmosis. We don't walk in this building and not do anything and just leave radically changed. Now, God can do that because God can do anything. He's that good and that powerful. But the reality, what his word is telling us, is that you can be close to Jesus and still remain closed off to Jesus. And you might say, well, yeah, but these people, they just needed more time with Jesus until they could get it. And I want to be able to say that too. But as we read Mark chapter 6 and we follow along with the disciples, we realize that no, we get no such luxury. Come with me for a moment on the disciples' journey through the rest of this uh, chapter. These disciples witness Jesus and his rejection at Nazareth, and then they they hear of Jesus' amazement at their hardness of hearts. But then Jesus sends them out. I love this little part, and I'm just, I so wish I could spend more time on it another time. But Jesus sends his disciples out with specific instructions. And if you read it, you saw he says, hey, take no bread. Don't take any bags. Don't take any money in your belts and not two tunics, okay? These are all things that represent security in life. He says, don't take those. Jesus asks them, leave behind your earthly security and follow and trust in his leading. And here the disciples do. As it says in verse 12, they went out, they proclaimed that people should repent. They cast out many demons and they anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Praise God. He sent them out in groups of of two. So, So six groups go out and they're doing the work of Jesus in six different places all at the same time. This is so cool. It reminds us of what Jesus says later when he says he's sending one who will do greater things than he. And we're like, you're Jesus. But he was talking of the Holy Spirit because we see it here. It's the same work, the same power, but now multiplied. And he's doing it through broken vessels. The disciples are now doing what they've only seen Jesus do. Can you imagine? Whew, that is some soul fuel right there. And they do it. So you take that amazing experience where they're doing the things they've seen him do and they're moving closer to being like Jesus, right? Yeah, they they have to be. But then they return to Jesus and we know they're pumped up about it. So Jesus longs to take them away. It's a healthy practice. Let's get away. Let us pray in a desolate place, something Jesus has already modeled for them many times. He's trying to show them again what it means to be like Jesus by doing the things and having the lifestyle of Jesus. But of course, they cannot escape the masses. No. They're trying to get away, and they feel like a job well done. Now we get our well-earned rest. But the people beat them to the other side, don't they? And at minimum, there's 5,000, but that says only the men. We know there were women and children, so much more likely at least 10,000. We don't know the actual number. 
but a significant crowd. And what does Jesus do looking at this as enormous as an interruption as you can imagine? You ever get frustrated one person interrupts you? Try 10,000 people interrupting you. And when you're on your way to a nap, 10,000 people interrupt you. But what does Jesus do? He looks upon the crowds. He looks upon his children. And it says he had compassion for they were like sheep without a shepherd. That is the good shepherd who was shepherding them in his compassion. The disciples don't look out on that crowd in the same way. Where Jesus looks out with compassion, they look at them as a hindrance. The disciples, longing for the rest they were promised and really did earn, long for Jesus to send these people away. I mean, this was after. They were patient with Jesus. He taught them for a while. It's growing late. It's evening, right? And he goes, send them away. Send them away. They don't have any food. This is a desolate place. But Jesus does not send people away who are eager to sit at his feet. So he instead invites them all to a meal. Five loaves and two fish become thousands upon thousands, and the disciples are the hands that deliver the bountiful blessings that come only from our Lord. And after everyone is satisfied, there were 12 baskets remaining, one for each of the disciples as a reminder of the abundant blessing, power, and provision of Jesus Christ they just witnessed. It's amazing. It's amazing. But... We remember our wake-up call and our warning sign. You can be close to Jesus. You can think you know Jesus. You can be empowered and even growing in your Christ-likeness and yet still remain closed off to Jesus. Even after this most amazing revelation of Jesus Christ, the text tells us in verse 52 of chapter 6, that the, this was after another storm encounter. And Jesus comes to them and all of this, where they should have recognized what, who Jesus is and what he can do. In verse 52, it says, The disciples' hearts were hardened, and they did not understand about the loaves. When you read this in its entirety, the first time you read it, you'll be like, why is he talking about the loaves again? Because it was just a most amazing storm thing. But, but it is showing that their hardness of hearts remained even through it. And that's why they didn't know that it was Jesus coming to them on the water. So Jesus sent them out. They were, they were amazed at what they could do in Jesus' name. But then the crowd interrupts their rest. The disciples turn their eyes away from Jesus and focus only on their own desires. Anyone relate? Yeah. You can be close to Jesus. You can think you know Jesus, and yet you can remain closed off to Jesus. The disciples were the hands serving the Lord as they delivered the life-giving blessing of Jesus. And yet, though the bread was soft, their hearts remained hardened. So Jesus, amazed in his hometown, at their lack of faith, now here, even after all the disciples have witnessed, even after all that, that they have done as he empowered the disciples to do what he can do, they still don't get it. 
They wanted to be like Jesus, but they took their eyes off of him, and they stopped short. And they were not willing at that time to do what it takes. And so we have to consider. We have to consider. The text demands it of us. How are we actually doing at keeping our eyes on Jesus? How's our heart right now? Is it getting a little bit hardened? It's nice and soft. Because you can be really close to Jesus and still be closed off. I deeply believe that what we said at the beginning is true. That every one of us here truly has a desire to be more and more like Jesus. I truly believe that. I truly believe that is a longing within our souls. But when we are honest, we see that gap between our desire to be like him and our willingness to do what it takes. Because honestly, it's really hard. And it comes with so much sacrifice. Jesus says, you know what it means to follow me? (laughs) But we're called to keep our eyes on him in the good and the bad, when it's convenient and especially when it's not. So if we all want to be like Jesus, just like the disciples wanted to be like Jesus, let's ask ourselves, like like Pastor John Mark Comer asks, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, well, this is what you have to do. You have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Easy. No. Honest reality. I want the life, but I'm not willing to adopt the lifestyle behind it. That hit any of you? Wind knocked out of you a little bit? It's okay. It's okay. Don't shy away from that pain. It's a very small pain to draw you back into uh, the life-giving calling that you have on your life because this is just a pit stop. And there's grace for the journey. Abundant grace for the journey because here's the reality. For some of you in this space right now, and I know based on our conversations, that right now everything coming at you is brand new and you're just trying to soak up everything you're hearing. And you are realizing that your your little piece of bread, it's like that communion bread, right? It's like too small to soak up everything you're hearing and all that goodness. And you're trying, but it's like, man, there's a lot left. Be at peace. The journey of faith is a lifelong journey. You can't drain the ocean in a day, but you can take a step of faith today. Praise God. God is gracious throughout the journey, and through it, he will give you what you need to do what you need to do that he has called you to. For others, you have logged enough hours sitting in the pews that would be the equivalent of three doctorates. You know your Bible. You could come up here and and do what I'm doing if only you were willing. You know all about Jesus. We're all somewhere on that spectrum, right? We're all on that journey somewhere. The question remains the same wherever we are in our own walk with Christ. Are we following him? Are we following him? Are we following him? None of us talk about, about, none of what we talk about here or in your life groups or in your conversations, your Bible studies, none of it actually uh, ultimately matters unless we are seeking to be more like Jesus. We love Jesus. That means we love what he does. We love who he is. But do we actually love the way of Jesus? 
And are we willing to do whatever it takes so that we won't become hardened of heart? That's our question today. That's our question. But there is grace and hope for the journey. I mentioned to you before that I view a Sunday morning, especially the message, as that halftime speech. Because you were just out there. You were doing what you were called to do. You were toiling this past week. You were serving and you were getting maybe beat up and tackled and things coming at you and these unfair fouls and the refs are playing, they're unfair. But you're just trying to do your goal and get to where God has called you to do to do what you have been called to do. But you come here on Sunday seeking something. And me as Coach Kevin, Coach K, right, <laughs> with my, my little whistle up here is reminding you of what is true, what you have been called to, that yes, it is hard. Yes, there is an enemy. Yes, there are obstacles. But we got another half. And you got everything you need. And you will be inspired again as God meets you in this place to do what he's called you to do. And so this is the halftime rallying because you got another half ahead. You got another half ahead. And maybe, maybe as you're sitting here, you're looking back and saying that first half was really rough. Maybe you're looking back and being like, you know what? That first half was really good. If it was good, let's keep a good thing going because there's another half to play. If it was bad, hey, this game is not over yet. There's another half to play. So what does it mean to actually follow Jesus? How can we follow Jesus today? How can we seek not just to know him, but to be open to him and to embrace the way of Jesus? We start with total surrender. We start with where we began. The life of a follower of Jesus begins by surrender because in our surrender, there's complete victory. It's not our victory, it's victory in Christ. We begin with total surrender. Not my way, God, but your will be done. Not what I want to see or what I want to do, but what you want me to see and what you want me to do when it's convenient and when it's not. And from surrender, we, we embrace a posture of trust. I will trust you, God. I'm going to have to fight for it, but I will trust you. I will trust you because I've surrendered. I'm letting go of control, so I must because I have no other place to go than to trust you. Even if I'm weary, even if if I'm confused, even if I have no clue what you're up to, God, I will trust you because you are good, because you are sure, and your faithfulness remains. And in our trust, what else, how else do we follow Jesus? We have to be in proximity with Jesus. We have to be close to Jesus, not just close, but present to Jesus. We draw close. We draw ever close. We, we, we don't love from afar. Have you ever heard a long-distance relationship uh, herald as the best way to have a relationship? No, it's the hardest way, right? It's the hardest way. It can, it can be done, but, but we don't love from afar. We draw in close, and we're not just close. We are present because you can't love when you're distracted. Anyone who's had a conversation with someone when they're still on their phone knows. You can't love when you're distracted. So we draw in close, ever closer, ever present, ever open to what he's doing, and ultimately we need a heavy dose of humility to look upon Jesus with an openness and a willingness to see all he is and certainly all we are not. 
but because he is good, to in our lowly place give thanks. Because Christ, after all, humbled himself. So who are we to say we won't humble ours? We will humble ourselves. The one who came down and humbled himself completely will have humility to say, I want to be like that. I need that. I need him every moment of every day. It's not what I want. It's what he wants. I will be like him. I will remain in awe. So what do you sense is your next step this day? If faith is a lifelong journey, there is a tangible next step for each of us today, and it will look different depending on who you are. What promptings are you receiving? What sense are you feeling that God is leading you? Take one small step of faith today, and maybe it's one of these areas that I need to surrender. I need to let go of control. Maybe it's I have not been trusting at all. Maybe I have just been distanced from God. I've been fighting him. I've been trying to ignore his calls and his texts and his messages and all this. You know what I mean. And I need to just come in close. Just come in close to the loving face of our Lord. Or I need to be humble, to acknowledge who I am and who he is. Because our invitation, we remember the sender. We remember the sender of the invitation. Jesus Christ, who is gentle and humble in heart is the one who invites us in. He says to us, come to me, come to me. All you who are weary and broken and burdened, come to me. Yeah. My burden's easy. My yoke is light. And you will find rest for your souls. That's ultimately what we long for, isn't it? As we contend to be more like Christ, we do that and we often hold on to the fear that we will never experience peace because it's such hard work. But in the presence of Christ, there is peace abundant for we are yoked to the one whose yoke is easy, whose burden is light, and he shares the heavy load and he guides us and he promises us in his presence and in his yoke, there is rest. Those disciples did not get the rest they longed for because they didn't see Jesus for who he was. We together, again, will proclaim, we will contend to see Jesus for who he is and draw in to receive true spirit-filled rest. That's our pit stop reminder, because we're not just here to learn more about Jesus. We aren't just here to be entertained. We're not here to just escape the realities of our life. We are here to be transformed more into the one who created us. None of us, none of us desire for the Lord to look at us and be amazed at our lack of faith. Oh, woe is me if that's the case. But wouldn't it be something if when he looked upon us, he was amazed at a life abundant in faith. Faith doesn't mean perfect. Faith just means you keep on going. Wouldn't it be something? Let's together do the hard work to amaze our Lord in that way. Let's together do the hard work to live into what we believe. Let's together do the hard work to be who God made us to be. 
by turning our eyes upon Jesus and not simply remaining in adoration, which is so good and right, but then to be moved in inspiration towards transformation, to be more and more like him, doing whatever it takes, whatever the cost, as we answer his call when he invites us by saying, follow me. Let's follow him. Let's follow him. Let's follow him. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, as we read so much about you through your son Jesus and your word, just six chapters into the 16 chapter gospel, Lord, and already we have so much to give you thanks for and to be amazed by. But we just pause to be an offering to you again. There's never been a moment you haven't been doing what you do in this world, Lord, in this universe. And right now, you are doing something here and now in our world, and we long to be open to it, to see it, to be transformed by you, and to partner with you to do what you are doing. So open us up again, Lord. Whatever blocks are in there, inspire us again, because there's another half. And we long to be more like you. We long to see you for who you are and inspired and transformed by you to do what you've called us to do. We turn our eyes upon you. We turn our hearts to you. We return our whole being to you and surrender ourselves again and say, we are yours. Have your way in us here and now. May it be so only through the power of your Holy Spirit, God. And in the power of Jesus' name, together we say, Amen.